are this country's first openly gay prime minister. How big a deal is this for you personally? Brexit process. U.S. investment bank Lehman Brothers collapsed. I said this was a once in a generation a vote. financial crisis. But I believe we have voted today for the next generation. Don't be rude. Welcome to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast, in which we discuss current political events. My name is Ramesh Gunaharati, and today with me is Hasmi Gregorian, a PhD researcher at DCU. And we will discuss today the policy positions of political parties in Armenia towards the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media via at Dublin LPR. So Hasmik, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me to talk about the timely topic through the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast. So could you just start off by explaining a little bit about your research on these policy positions of Armenian political parties? So in my research, I was looking at the policy positions of the political parties towards the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. And I looked at the policy ideologies through two political documents. One were the electoral manifestos of the political parties. And the second one is looking at the ideologies through the parliamentary debates about the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. And if we look at the two documents, we can distinguish it because electoral manifestos are quite short materials. But we can still see, for example, if a political party is moderate or hardline. And through the parliamentary debates, again, we can see and measure the rhetoric of the politicians about the conflict. And the idea of my research was to look how hardline or moderate are the political parties and when do they shift their policy ideology. Because if we look throughout 1990s till present, we can see that the ideologies have changed over time. Okay, that's a good explanation of what you're doing with regard to the documents and analysis. Also, I think our audience would benefit from a very short, even though it's a very complex topic of the whole Nagorno-Karabakh context of why you would analyze the policy positions to begin with. Why would you analyze the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict? First, if we look at the academic literature, it was often described the conflict in terms of the national identity of the sites. Then it has raised also the issues of territoriality or right for self-determination or territorial integrity. Uh, there is also slightly uh, some literature about the role of the international actors in the conflict, but there is maybe very few uh, have written about how ruling elites have used the conflict itself. And I actually wanted to look how the internal actors of the country look at it. And if we look, for example, in the 1990s, at the beginning, it was the wartime. And we could distinguish at that time that the political parties spoke about if it was hardline situation, then the political parties spoke about the importance of independence of this territory because they wanted to defend Armenians living in Nagorno-Karabakh. But when, for example, the situation changed and it was relatively moderate and less violence, some of the political parties shifted back and they were ready for some kind of compromise as well. But the main idea why I chose looking at the conflict itself is that I wanted to understand how the internal political actors thought about the conflict. Mm -hmm. So you looked at these policy positions from the 1990s to, to 2012. 
And how have these policy positions evolved over yeah. time? I mentioned in the beginning about the 1990s. So it's in 1991, Armenia gained the independence. So they had the first parliament, but it was also the 1992, 1993, the year of the conflict escalation. So at that time, in the beginning, there were some attempts of peace negotiations. The first attempt was done by Kazakhstan and Russia at that time. And in this time period, they spoke about possible compromise, for example, liberal parties would speak about the readiness of compromise, think how to exchange the territories and so on. Conservatives would be more hardline. They would still argue that we need to build an army and go for the independence of Nagorno-Karabakh. But uh, as the conflict evolved and it became more and more hardline, because there were uh, an ongoing war, so liberal parties shifted. They were arguing that we need to recognize the independence of Nagorno-Karabakh. And conservative parties in Armenia became even more hardline, as they were saying that we need to continue the war and construct a good army and so on. But if we compare it even more broadly, in 1994 and onwards, there was the ceasefire between Armenia and Azerbaijan, and the OSC Minsk group was created, the main negotiating format between the sides, and the situation changed. So they started to propose different documents how to solve the conflict. And in 2000s, also, there was different international dimension. So in 2008 and 9, for example, there was the Armenian-Turkish protocols and negotiation of uh, opening the Armenian-Turkish border. And the political parties started to speak about Nagorno-Karabakh through this regional lens. And liberal parties would be more in favor of some kind of regional cooperation, while conservatives still would be more in favor of uh, the independence of Nagorno-Karabakh and would be less trustful towards the ongoing negotiations. Another aspect that there was an agenda shift was, apart from the OSCE Minsk group, another one was the uh, fight against the fake news and or misinterpretation of the history. So Armenian political parties focused about different narratives in the media about the conflict, and they were saying that we need to work on spreading the correct information from the Armenian perspective. These are the two different policy agendas that they discussed. So if we look in the 1990s, this would be more about the war and negotiations. And if we go towards 2000s, it would be about, again, negotiations and also a regional cooperation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so indeed, we can see that the policy positions have shifted. And of course, the dynamics that contributed is, was, of course, the conflict that was there until 1994, when the direct violence ceased following the ceasefire and then over time it moved again towards uh, a more regional approach but also as you said throughout the whole time period we did have the hardline political parties but also more moderate political parties is there also any discussion within the political parties in relation to what the actual status of Nagorno-Karabakh should be so should it become an independent state or should it become a part of Armenia or something else? 
It's a good question because both in the 1990s and in the 2000s, there was a discussion. So approximately, I think in 1992, political parties initiated a legislation in the parliament. And so they suggested to recognize the independence. So they saw it that Armenia must recognize it as an independent state. And uh, about this legislation, uh, they voted, I think it did not pass, but overall both conservative and liberal parties wanted it to be independent. Uh, there was no disagreement about it. But of course, if we look at the conservative ideology, when there were a lot of uh, escalations and war, conservative parties argued that Nagorno-Karabakh must unite with Armenia. In 2000s, there was again a proposal of discussing the independence of Nagorno-Karabakh. One of the parties made the proposal, but still, Armenia did not confirm this proposal. Also, there is overall agreement that it must be an independent state. Armenia never confirmed it because the argument was that Armenia is negotiating with Azerbaijan in the framework of the OSC Minsk group. And uh, so they are still in the negotiations. And if we recognize it, then it means that we will undermine the negotiation processes. And that's why it has never been prioritized uh, nationally. Okay, so what that means, while the political parties primarily argue for the independence of Nagorno-Karabakh as an independent state. In contrast, the government itself does not have an official position because of this OSC means group. And thus, that's kind of the basic difference between what the political parties say and what the government says. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, of course, within the opposition parties, there are all also other opinions as well. For example, there was an opposition party that was represented in the parliament that was quite moderate. They were saying that we can exchange some territories with Azerbaijan. So this was even not linked with the recognition at all. So there are some moderate parties as well. And the second, as you spotted, is about uh, that uh, there are a lot of parties that want to recognize uh, Nagorno-Karabakh as independent state. But the government, of course, they have opinion because they still argue that we are negotiating. We need to, through diplomatic means, we need to reach the recognition of Nagorno-Karabakh as an independent state. But they still uh, they, uh, wanted to stay within this OSC Minsk group negotiation format and that's why they were especially in for example in 2007 when the Madrid principles were designed this was a document that Armenia and Azerbaijan worked on in the framework of the co-chairs of the OSC Minsk group and this suggested that for example the territories around Nagorno-Karabakh would be returned to Azerbaijan and then a referendum would be about status of Nagorno-Karabakh then refugees would be able to return to the places where they used to live so they were negotiating about it and this was quite moderate time period and and at that time, Armenian government did not push the agenda of recognition right away. So we can call it a moderate policy. But if we look, for example, 
example, in 2016, there was more escalation on the border between Nagorno-Karabakh and Azerbaijan. So Armenian government also was more hardline and there was also stalemate of negotiation process. So they met much less frequently Armenian and Azerbaijani officials. And at that time, for example, our uh, Armenian government, they still wouldn't have the official agenda of recognizing it in the parliament, but they had the Armenian concept for which the idea was that Armenians must be ready to fight if there is a war. So clearly one reason for the change of the policy positions of the political parties is, from what you've said, the severity of the conflict at a given moment in time. Are there any other reasons why political parties change their positions? Uh, yes, yeah, so this is correct that it's um, related to conflict escalation. If it's not, it's peaceful, then they will be just moderate or hardline. And if it's uh, violent, then they will shift. Another one would be they will follow the government policy because they compete with each other. Uh, so uh, they must tell the people a better solution about the conflict and accordingly they will construct uh, their policy positions and the main criteria is about their ideologies and I distinguish the parties according liberal and conservative and the conservative I distinguished parties that have some historical roots because some have been created uh, long ago and they have some memories uh, with the past they would be conservative and accordingly they will be hardline and shift towards radical position during the war times and I distinguished parties into liberal if they don't have any reference to history or territory, but they rather focus on the importance of individuals. These parties would be moderate and they will shift to hardline during the war and they will shift according to the policy of the government. The two factors play a role, the conflict escalation and the government policy. If government is moderate, uh, then liberals will be moderate and conservatives would be hardline. But if the government shifts to hardline policy, then liberals would shift to hardline situation and conservatives would shift to radical policy. But of course, currently, there is a new situation. So when I speak about this, it's more before the 2020 war. So that's good that you mentioned the whole 2020 conflict escalation, which I mean, was the worst escalation since the 1990s, if I'm not mistaken. So how has that impacted the policy positions in Armenia? Yeah, the interesting fact is that I think the political parties currently are, we can call it under shock, because currently it's completely a new situation, because the seven territories around Nagorno-Karabakh have been returned to Azerbaijan. And apart from that, Nagorno-Karabakh has been divided. So uh, Hadrut and Shushi are under control of Azerbaijan. And according to the new document that was signed in November 9, 2020, uh, so the territories are returned, then sites uh, must return the prisoners of war. Armenia have returned, but Armenia waits until Azerbaijan returns uh, the Armenian prisoners of war. And then the last point is that there will be opening of the blockade of Armenia. So there will be 
uh, a link between Armenia, Azerbaijan, some railway transport and trade links. So this is the idea of the document. And the interesting part is that none of the parties have officially told their position. But in mid-June, there will be elections, parliamentary elections planned. Maybe at that time, they will formulate their position. But there are no specific parties that would be directly against the document. This is what we can observe from Armenia. Of course, they are said that uh, there were so many distractions, so many losses. And I think political parties did not expect such kind of developments about uh, conflict and Nagorno-Karabakh. But even the opposition that was against the current government and that was protesting and demanding resignation of the prime minister, even these parties do not say that they will annul the document. We'll see how they will formulate their policy position in June. Okay, so moving from that, so we've kind of gone through from the 1990s in a way, very quickly, of course, to 2020. Now I would like to take a step back and look at the more broader picture. Is there anything we can learn from this specific case study in relation to how yeah, patron states support de facto states or contested territories? Uh, yes, so mostly uh, Armenia helped Nagorno-Karabakh a lot diplomatically. So throughout this, all from the 1990s until today, the main foreign policy of Armenia was that we must diplomatically reach the recognition of Nagorno-Karabakh as an independent state. This is how Armenia strived to help Nagorno-Karabakh. They also strived uh, to have some financial assistance to build hospitals, schools in the Nagorno-Karabakh itself. And then uh, Nagorno-Karabakh has their own self-defense army. But of course, during the war in the 1990s and in general, Armenia would support Nagorno-Karabakh through military forces. This is uh, three ways that the patron states usually support de facto states. Armenia, through its embassies abroad, develops uh, different messages that the world needs to recognize Nagorno-Karabakh. Okay, yeah, that's quite interesting because, I mean, even in my work, which I more closely look at the cases of Abkhazia and uh, Transnistria, South Ossetia, in those cases as well, you can see that patron state supports a lot militarily, but also, of course, economically through various aspects. So in a way, there are some similarities between patron state and the de facto state relationship. And another point is, of course, by studying policy positions, what can we learn about yeah, conflict resolution dynamics? How does that help in any way? Yes, I think the problem here is that international actors, and in case of Nagorno-Karabakh, it was the OSCE-MIS group, and it made a lot of efforts, and I think it needs to return to the region currently. The France and the US as co-chairs, I think, must be re-involved in the negotiations and peace development in the region. But I think the international actors also need to pay attention to the policy positions of the political parties uh, for different reasons. First, because the political parties reflect the moods uh, that exist in the society. They reflect the debates that are ongoing in these countries. 
And also, if we take the Armenian case, for example, I mentioned that there are some moderate parties and they were represented in the parliament and they were saying that we need to return some territories to Azerbaijan. And maybe if these political parties would be involved in the negotiation format, in this case, maybe we could have avoided the war as well, because maybe if some territories were returned to Azerbaijan, then Azerbaijan wouldn't have to start the war. Because if we go um, for a second to Azerbaijani ideology throughout these years, they always said that it's a territorial integrity, that territories around Nagorno-Karabakh are Azerbaijani territories. So maybe if international actors would involve more political subjects of the countries, they could have come to a better solution without a war. Yeah, that's indeed an interesting point. I think that's quite important, I guess, for international actors to yeah, at least listen to the local actors that exist, whether it's within parent state or the base state or the contested territory itself. And also, of course, and ideally, they should also get a platform to participate. But I think, as you rightly said, at minimum, they should listen to these local actors in order to see if there are potentials for conflict resolution, because ultimately it's the local actors that know best what's happening on the ground rather than going through this very neo-colonialist idea of someone comes out from somewhere else and kind of gives their view of how some conflict should be resolved. So that's a very interesting point. My last question, I guess, is away from the actual content. It's a bit of a more methodological question because we have, as our listeners, some of them might be doing similar research or using similar methods. So I know that you used archival research to get a lot of these documents. How was that? And what were the difficulties that you came across doing archival research? So for collecting the parliamentary debates, I went to the National Archives of Armenia because debates starting from 2000 until present are available online uh, on the website of the Parliament of Armenia. But of course, only the open debates are available on the website of Armenia. But parliamentary debates of the 1990s exist only in the archives. And from 1991 until 1994, both open and closed debates were available for the public. So one of the difficulties probably is that, so it's the National Archive and there are a lot of collections. And it's first of all quite difficult to find them. One aspect is that it's a large number of documents. And the second aspect is related to the fact that they are very old materials. And if we look, they are just huge books. And they are just called Parliamentary Debate of, for example, November 1991. But there is no topic or something. So I literally went through each debate and looked if the parliament members spoke about the conflict or not. So it took me one month to find uh, all the debates about the Nagorno-Karabakh um, itself. So this is probably a technical issue, but this is something that the researchers need to take into consideration, that it will take some effort and time to find uh, materials. But it was very interesting. And also, it takes also time because there are limited. Uh, so you can, for example, order 10 pieces of debate. And if you are lucky that these 10 pieces of debates are linked to the topic, 
then it's good you can work. If not, you need to return and reorder and come back the next day. And another uh, issue is that uh, for my research, so the closed uh, parliamentary debates were available only until 1995. From 1996, it was only the open parliamentary debates that were available for the public. So probably some parts we don't know yet. But maybe after some time, they will reopen it for the public. I don't know. But to me, it was very interesting because it was literally about the speeches of the parliament members. And it was the first parliament of independent Armenia. And it was very interesting to read what they are speaking about. This is one aspect. And the second aspect is that through reading them, we can not only restore the history, but also to look more into details because these are political actors. So they have some logic when they speak. Sometimes it's linked to an international event that's going on about the conflict. So they want to show their ideology in the light of the ongoing situation. So these are two main points. Mm-hmm. My final question is, do you have any tips for anyone either who is researching on Nagorno-Karabakh conflict or is doing archival research? About Nagorno-Karabakh, probably one tip would be because there are many good articles about the history and how the conflict evolved, how Armenians see the conflict. My tip would be probably also to focus on present and current actors uh, that are in Nagorno-Karabakh or in Armenia and go into details and find what is missing in the literature and write about these aspects. If more general about the archival materials, the tip is that if it takes a lot of time, that's fine, because these are archives. And in some countries, maybe they will be sorted in a more systematic way, so it will be easy to find. But in other countries, maybe it will be a bit more difficult. But if we communicate uh, with the staff and uh, look through the papers uh, attentively, we can find the materials that we want. Okay, so... That's all the time we have for today. And I would like to thank Hasmik for taking her time to share her research with us. Thank you. And to our listeners, again, thank you for listening to us. And we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And don't forget to subscribe or find us on social media via at DublinLPR or on our website, dublinlpr.ie. This podcast will also be aired on Swatch Radio Navi Mumbai and Galway's Flirt FM. Comments, questions, and suggestions are very welcome via contact at dublinlpr.ie. This was Ramesh Ganaharthi, and I wish you a pleasant day.